0: Father, again, we are so thankful for this time that we have together. We're thankful that Your mercies are new every morning and that we um, count ourselves blessed and richly um, covered in in Your grace because You saw fit to bring us to Jesus and to grant us faith and repentance, to trust in Him and Him alone. And Lord, we pray that as we study through what Scripture teaches us about the working of the Trinity in our salvation? That you would be um, gracious to us again, giving us hearts that are not um, proud of this, but that are humbled and thankful for what you've done for us in Christ. And we pray for all these things in His name. Amen. All right, we are continuing in our study of the five points of Calvinism, and uh, we did an overview of unconditional election last time and this week i'd like to review some some classic i want to review all of them just some classic objections to the doctrine of unconditional election all right so first of all let's remember that we're looking at the middle points of the tulip total total depravity being the first point we went through that uh, pretty thoroughly and we all felt that pretty thoroughly Uh, unconditional election is the second point uh, of of uh, calvinism and then it's um, uh, limited atonement and uh, irresistible grace. And we talked about the middle section of the, the, the way the five points are laid out being kind of the, the uh, expression of the work of each person of the Trinity to bring about a sinner to grace, to salvation. And uh, we dealt with irresistible grace first because we talked about that being more the experiential way that we, that we view it. Um, the Holy Spirit works in the heart, and everybody kind of just acknowledges, yeah, something changed in me. That's why I came, if you're old enough. I mean, if you're three, then, you know. But generally, we understand that as being, there was I was this way, and then something's changed. Uh, unconditional election is a little bit, it's more out there. I mean, we don't feel election, you know. We don't feel the, the, the um, we don't hear the voice, yes, you are you know, chosen, or whatever. That, that's, it's different. And yet, Scripture teaches it. We talked last week about it. it, You know, it's the word is used in the Bible. Uh, We got to do something with it. What does it mean? What is the testimony of Scripture to what that means? So we went through what um, what election meant, Um, and 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 really, as we're going through it, unconditional election is the work of the Father, calling a people out. Uh, Definite or limited atonement is the work of the Son. Lord knows He tried. Is not the way we, we view that. Um, and irresistible grace uh, or effectual grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that some. So, so let's, let's review our definition for our purposes this morning of unconditional election. What we mean by unconditional election is the eternal, sovereign, unmerited, and immutable decree of God for very great words to use at your next party. Eternal, sovereign, unmerited, and immutable decree of God, whereby, according to the wise counsel of His own will and for His own glory, He has selected for Himself some individual sinners from among all mankind and of every nation to be redeemed and everlastingly saved by grace. And so you see there that we're, we're looking at the... the um, the free grace of God is what we're talking about. God's freedom in choosing whom he will. And the all, we would argue, is not every single man, woman, and child ever born in the history of everything, but that all types of people, all kinds of people from Asia, from Middle East, from, uh, from Tyler. You know, it's all, and even New York, it's all. Types of people, not just every. So uh, those against would argue that no, he, you know, God, I was elected because I selected is the is the you know one of the phrases that's used. So all right, so one of the things we'll be doing in this series is a a, a repeating theme of it didn't start with Calvin, right? This idea of God's electing grace did not start with Calvin. So let's look at a few quotes. We're going to start with Justin Martyr, who said this: God, out of all nations took your nation to Himself, he's talking to uh, Trifo the Jew, his, his, his dialogue with Trifo the Jew, he says, God out of all nations took your nation to Himself, a nation unprofitable, disobedient, and unfaithful, not meriting grace, right, clearly, thereby pointing out those that are chosen out of every nation to obey His will by Christ whom he calls, whom He also calls Jacob and names Israel. Now isn't that interesting, 150 AD, uh, he, he recognizes that Scripture teaches that the church is, um, it, well, is grafted into Israel. All right, let's look at Clement of Alexandria. Through faith the elect of God are saved. The generation of those who seek God is the elect nation, not an earthly place, but the congregation of the elect, which I call the church. If every person had known the truth, they would all have leapt into the way and there would have been no election. You are those who are chosen from among and as those who are predestined from among men and in his own time called, faithful, and elect those who before the foundation of the world are known intimately by God unto faith. That is, are appointed by him to faith, grow beyond babyhood. (laughs) So there it is. You're growing in faith. It's because of God's free grace. All right, uh, Ambrosius of Milan uh, says this in um, in 380 AD that in predestination of the church uh, that in predestination the church of God has always has been, and that the fruitfulness of faith is prepared whenever the Lord shall command it to break forth, but by the will of the Lord is reser- it is reserved for a certain time. So, there you have at least three quotes, and there are plenty more, uh, from the early church, first 500 years, of guys who are arguing for the electing free grace of of God the Father. But as you can imagine, there are people who object to this. What are the odds? Um, Let's look at the first uh, objection. We dealt with a little bit last week. The first objection is election and predestination are terms made up by Calvinists. Uh, to cause confusion, bring division, and excuse away a lack of zeal in evangelism. Because, you know, everybody else is so awesomely awesome at that. And we discussed this last time. Um, every Christian who carefully studies the Bible has to deal with election. It's, it's everywhere. It's all throughout. And uh, last week, in, in the handout last week, uh, I listed um, a bajillion... Sites We called it the string site of, all the, uh, of a lot of the verses that deal with election. So I commend that to you. The, the, these are biblical words. So we've got to deal with it. Um, the issue is whether election is conditional based on foreseen faith, which is what people argue. Or is it God's freedom by which um, the sinner is elected to grace? So objection number two. God's not fair if he chooses some and not others. Have you heard this one? Have you heard? What do you do with this? God's not fair if he chooses some and not others.
1: Who are you to talk
0: back Isn't it nice when an objection that people throw out like it's the trump card, pardon the pun. They throw out this objection, and it's already dealt with by the apostle in Romans. Uh, I sent out a, 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 a a, a little thing to, to fill up this week where it's like reading Romans like crazy or whatever and it's like the whole book is highlighted, you know? Yeah. Romans 9 to me is all highlighted because it answers all of, these, uh, all of these objections. God is not fair if he chooses some and not others. It, it's, it's great. So he says in response to that, Romans 9, 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part by no means? Number one, Who's the standard of righteousness? God God is. Am I going to impose my view, my opinion of what is right on the creator of the universe? What kind of arrogance is that? God is the standard of righteousness. He says in verse 15 in that same chapter, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Not, you, you don't tell me what to do with that. I'm sovereign, right? So we start with God is a standard, not me. And not the objector. All right. Number two, he would have been righteous had he left the entire race to perish in sin. We, we talked about that when we went through the first point in total depravity. He would have been righteous if he had left the entire race to perish in sin. He didn't owe us anything. We're the rebels, not him. Number three, The fact that he sovereignly chooses to show mercy to sinful rebels does not make other rebels deserving of mercy. The the hashtag, you know, well, this is probably inappropriate. The (laughs) I was gonna say, the other rebels can't say, what about me too? I was gonna say that wouldn't work. But what about me too? You're you're being unfair to me if you choose that's not what they're saying at all. They're saying, I don't want heaven. I don't want Christ. That's the heart that we are born with. I don't want... It would be hell to me to be with Him because I'm a rebel against Him. Right? Unless the heart is changed, that's where we start. Why would it be unfair to say, okay, I pass over these? Go the way you want to go. That's the, there's no fairness issue there. Um, and number four, this is a another another point. Uh, God does not save any without full satisfaction of his justice. And we'll, we'll get to that more when we talk about um, uh, uh, definite atonement. But if you look at Romans 3, 25 and 26, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Well, what's he talking about there? What about David? David. I mean, we think, I was listening to a, I listened to a, a commentator who's a Jewish guy and he was talking about Saul. He says, what Saul did really wasn't, compared to what David's sin was, wasn't that bad as we see bad. I mean, he, he kind of, he was a wuss. He, he went, you know, he, he kind of cowtailed to the opinion of the people. David committed rape and murder. What do you, and yet God, Shows favor on David and not on Saul. Um, And he passes over the sins of David until a time that Christ comes. Of course, this wasn't made by the Jewish commentator, but this is what God has the freedom to do that. And he does that for his own reasons, his own purposes. All right. So, but before we go further, I want to make this, I want to make a, a really fine point, and it's this. God has a general love for all men as creatures. And you see this in Scripture again and again. Psalm 145 9. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And then in Matthew 5, 45 um, Jesus says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He takes care of them us all of us uh saved and unsaved to a certain degree just just because we're his creatures there's not there's not a a sahara every everywhere you know an an unsaved person walks god puts rain on them as well causes them to increase causes their crops to grow causes their endeavors to succeed it's not it's not um there is a general love toward all creatures it's the selective particular love that people get with clinton they're about it's because god loves certain people this way and, uh, and not others um and it's not the other thing is we're not special in ourselves because of the selecting grace uh, david I, in my view if i were just looking at the objective evidence david would have been a worse sinner than saul Right? Jacob and Esau. Esau went for porridge. Jacob was a lying uh, thief or whatever. Uh, you know, there, there is an amazing thing when you see the, the grace of God shed on. Some of these guys are like, what are you thinking? Well, I would never do that. And yet he does. Um, and this, this is an essential thing when we talk about election. The love of God, the freedom of God the unmerited grace of God towards sinners. Um, Deuteronomy seven seven. We talked this last time. The language of the lover. I love you because I love you. He says to Israel. This is the same kind of attitude, the same kind of heart that he brings to um, unmerited grace. He decided to choose and love. And and one of, one of the most glorious things about divine election is that it shows us grace. Grace by its very nature must be undeserved and unmerited. It's God's free love for his people. All right. Objection number two. Three. Objection number three. God's sovereignty and human inability destroy human responsibility. You see this in some other circles. Um, You see it among atheists, biological determinism. If you have this built-in genetic code that, that makes you want to rob banks... How can you be guilty for that? How can you be, you know, that that kind of idea? Um, And so they try to apply this to this idea to the, the sovereignty of God in election. Again, we have the beautiful luxury of being able to rely on Paul in Romans 9 for this objection. Because he brings it up in Romans 9, 19. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? I was born this way. Right? Why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? It was his will to create me with this genetic code, with this will, with this predisposition. How can, how can that be fair? Again, it goes back to the fairness thing. Um, and how does he respond? With the most detailed, uh, 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 clear, decisive answer that, that we could ever have about how you deter how you how you deal with determinism and free will in all of Scripture. He says, who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? What? What? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? What will what is will what is bolded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Who Pharaoh, why did you make me? Pharaoh's not asking that question. Who is the Lord that I should worship him? Who is the Lord that I should obey? I don't care. I'm God. Will will what uh, is made question how it was made by the Creator? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? That's in Romans 9 20 and 21. The truths of divine sovereignty and human responsibility are found side by side in Scripture. The truths of human responsibility and divine sovereignty are found side by side in Scripture. And we've talked about this again and again. I think the clearest way to think about this is looking at the cross. You want to see those two just displayed for the world? God in His foreknowledge and His predetermined plan put Jesus to death, right? It was His plan that that happened, and you by the hands of lawless men put to death the, the king of glory the, the there's this meant for good there's this meant for evil right and it was all according to the plan of god that it happened and yet they're considered to be lawless men sinning wrong immoral men inability does not destroy responsibility. Sinners are unable to keep God's commandments, yet he, a sinner, is responsible to do so. All right.
2: Well, that's what, uh, Isaiah 10?
0: Yeah. You
2: know, God wants to discipline Israel. The Assyrians are marching the exact opposite direction. In order to bring about the discipline of Israel, he puts into the mind of the Assyrian king, why don't you go and destroy Israel? Right. And then they go and destroy essentially Israel, and then he punishes the Assyrians for destroying Israel. Right. It's never even part of their plan until God put it in their mind. Right. And so, I mean, that's like, like this is almost verbatim. Yeah. Isaiah says in Isaiah 10. Yeah. You know, the Assyrians didn't care anything about you. I want to use them to discipline you. I'm going to put it in their mind to come and fight you. And then I'm going to punish them for raising their swords up
0: against my head. Right, right. And he talks about putting a hook in their mouth.
2: Yeah, to drag them. To drag
0: to, them against their will, yeah. so to speak. So,
2: and then punishing them.
0: And then them. punishing them for doing something that was in their heart to do. And it's there. Yeah. Because God stirs up the nature that's the there. It's
2: already there. They already want it to wait for it. Just, re, just, just
0: redirect it to where he right. wants it. It's, it's chess. It's really what it is. It's good chess. Mm-hmm. All right objection number, four. Any, any other questions on that one? That's, a, that's kind of a heavy one. Is that? Spurgeon skirts this so well, I think. He, he does the, you know, the, there are parallel lines of human responsibility and divine sovereignty and they meet behind the throne of grace. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you for that. That helps a lot.
2: And he also said there's no need to
0: reconcile friends. No need to reconcile friends. That's right. <laughs> I don't make an enemy of friends, I think. so. Yeah. No, that's, that's so helpful. Moving on.
2: Hey Kevin, you want a quote from Emil Bruner on this? Go ahead. Um, he said, "The fact that man must respond, that he is responsible, is fixed. No amount of human freedom, nor the sinful misuse of freedom, can alter this fact. Man is and remains responsible wherever his personal attitude to his creator may be. He may deny this responsibility, and he may misuse his freedom, but he cannot get of his re- get rid of his responsibility. Responsibility is the unchangeable structure of man's being."
0: Hmm. And that's from Genesis one. Essentially. Yeah yeah good all right objection number i forget if god has a fixed decree of election why repent and believe why preach the gospel why pray why send missionaries why would we do that if 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 he knows who's going to call anyway why can't i sit in the corner and play you know destiny 2 for the rest of my life it doesn't matter
2: he ordains the means as well as the ends. Thank you. Ends.
0: Grant made a very valid theological point. He said it's called destiny too. That's why. Go ahead. He ordains the means as well as the end. Yes. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: he can, not only does he have the end game in, in his control, but he, he ordains.
0: How it gets ends. done. How,
2: yeah. He ordains how that happens.
0: Okay. OK, good,
2: uh, which those are the ordinary means of the great
1: of,
0: of how his how his electing grace is applied. Yeah.
1: I, I think it's easy
0: to go from God's sovereignty and human uh, responsibility into fatalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where some people go,
2: Whatever's going to happen, going to happen if God got planned for somebody to be a murderer, they're just going to be a murderer. If right. You know, it's just this uh, whatever just go through your life and not really not really
0: try because right. whatever's going to happen is going to happen right sera, sera. obviously that's not what scripture calls no what's the difference between fatalism and what we're talking about let's just let's hit that What? why isn't this fatalism
1: because we have a will we have a, an ability to choose uh, maybe not ultimately right and wrong where mm-hmm. we end up fatally but we have Responsibility inside of the parameters
0: that God has given us. So, choice and responsibility are not part of fatalism.
1: Right?
0: No. Fatalism is is an impersonal uh, force, right? It's the will of the force or whatever. You know, that's a fatalism. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and we'll you know, we can fight against it, we can rail against it, we can be great Norse heroes and try to do everything we can, but ultimately the fates are going to get us. And with that attitude, there is no reason to pray. There's no reason to be missionaries. There's no reason to try to be uh, moral and live by the moral code of their Bible. And that's the charge that objectors to Calvinism have toward us. Right. You're just just fatalistic. The
2: distinction between what you said earlier of biological determinism, which some philosophers are trying to espouse Mm -hmm. in the legal realm Mm -hmm. and the actual justice system that we function in. If you have somebody that's had some sort of brain trauma mm-hmm. that then leads them to become sociopathic where they hurt people on a regular basis right the uh biological determinists would say well they, they can't do anything about that they can't be held responsible mm-hmm. for that whereas everybody else in society that's not crazy would go yeah okay maybe they can't but they're still going to be held responsible for that we're either going to lock them up institutionalize them put them on medicine so that they'll stop hurting people. right like that, that's the you know
0: it's okay. more of a consequential it's a consequential right. reality and, right
2: and that's that's actually played that's actually borrowed from this. Mm-hmm. It's Even if you can't keep yourself from doing it, mm-hmm. you're still going to be held responsible for right. it. It's yeah. a both and, not an either. Or right, so, exactly,
0: exactly. So first, first thing, we're gonna look at a couple of points here. First, um, it's the command of God that's involves. <laughs> Why do we pray? Yeah. Why do we evangelize? Because he tells us to. Mm-hmm. We believe in sovereignty, we do what he tells us to do because that's what kings do, they tell us to do stuff right? Uh, We should do these things because God commands us to. Um, And then number two, we should do these things because God's work is normally accomplished through the use of means. And that's to Clint's point, to Tammy's point, to use of means. Let's look at Romans 10, 13 and 15. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen, hallelujah. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? and how are they to hear without someone preaching or evangelizing or witnessing or sending a thank you card? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Scripture says that the Lord has determined the number of our days right Job 14:5 He's determined the number of my days. it also says, Um, that each one of them was written before I was born and determined, God knows, my days. He wrote them out. They're in a book. Metaphorically speaking, I'm sure they're just in the mind of God and that's fine too. Mm -hmm. The point is, He knows them beginning to end. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what I'm going to do. He knows my choices I'm going to make. He determines them. And yet, I breathe. (sighs) Got to do it. (sighs) And yet, I eat. I do it more than I should, but I still do it because living involves breathing, eating, drinking. As Christians, being a Christian involves believing, repenting, praying, evangelizing, right? It's part of the breath. It's part of the food. It's part of the drink that we have as believers in Christ. It's the means by which we exist spiritually you do these things not because you do these things because you are (laughs) right it doesn't mean it doesn't take away from the sovereignty of God and it doesn't take away from the responsibility of me to breathe just because God numbers my days Um, we have a responsibility to live God has commanded us to preach to witness to every person and pray for their salvation we're not to be governed we're not, and so many people just, I think, lose their minds over this. We're not to be governed by what God has planned, what's secret to us. We're to be governed by what He's revealed, what He's told us. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 is one of my favorite favorite verses. It says, that The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. You want to know the will of God? Read it. Don't start trying to figure out is my sister going to get saved cuz that'll drive you nuts. What are you called to do? You're called to be faithful. You're called to be obedient. You're called to live as unto him and be responsible to grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus and that involves breathing, eating and drinking. It involves prayer, preaching, study the word, repent and believe the gospel. That's that's how we're to live. We're not to try to peer behind the veil and be God. We're to be responsible human beings. He is the creator. We are creatures. God has ordained to use means to accomplish His purpose. He does not save people apart from the use of means generally. Gospel preaching is one of the means that God has ordained to bring the elect to faith in Christ. And since we don't know who the elect are, that means air body. We preach to air body. All right, number three, we should do these things in order that god might be glorified first peter four eleven, the glory of god should be our primary goal in all that we do first uh, peter says whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of god whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that god supplies in order that in everything god may be glorified through jesus christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever what does that do Where, where's the responsibility for us there is it to, to flip the switch in somebody's head that they be saved no the responsibility is to do the gifts and callings that he's given us if I'm called to serve I need to be doing that and I need to do it to his glory not half heartedly or oh, I guess I've got to do this because it tells me to do it but he ordained that I do it no we do this because we want to serve Jesus we do what we're called to do because we want to be obedient to him but I can't by, I can't put on God okay because I'm doing this for you and my gift flip the switch do, do that thing. That's presuming on the grace of God. We do it as obedient and humbly before Him. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, Alright, next objection, 5, 6, I can't remember. I'll leave it to you to count later. God's election will keep people out of heaven. Here's the picture. Here's the picture. St. Peter is in his robe and the little hat that they always have him in. And he's at the gate and he does this. And there's people just trying to reach him through the gate. And he's like got his little cane and slapping their hands. Get away, get away, get away. They're trying to get into heaven. But because God has not elected them, they're not coming in. That's the picture. Right? Uh, for some reason I can't explain. I know St. Peter won't call my name. You know, that's what's going on there. And they want to get in. Is that what Scripture teaches us? I just, called, I just quoted Coldplay. I just dropped Coldplay in the middle of Sunday school. Um, they want to get in, but they're not. Is that what Scripture teaches us? No. No. Heaven forbid. What? Thank you. Thank you. Election is inclusive, not exclusive. The election of God is inclusive, not exclusive. All sinners would be excluded from the gracious presence of God apart from electing grace. Election is come. Come on in. But he only does it to some. But none deserve it. Uh, Number two, all who truly desire to be saved according to the plan of God will be saved. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. It's it's a free call it's an intentional call in fact we'll get to this when we talk about sovereignty of god and evangelism it's not an invitation it's a command come it's a very inclusive command to everybody the true believer in free grace will never deny that god has extended a free offer of mercy in christ to all who hear the gospel and we'll get into that more and more Um, to deny that whoever will may come is to deny the clear teaching of God's Word. And, and I, when we get to the missions portion of this, I want to kind of do some of the history with John Gill and then, and then Adam Judson in and, and England, uh, and kind of how that idea, that uh, robust, heartfelt missions movement was born out of the, the understanding of the electing free grace of God. Um, rather, rather than to kill missions, it actually, um, it, it actually invigorated it. Um, the real issue is whether or not any will desire salvation in God's way and on God's terms. So I, I put some verses there for you. Romans 3.11, no one understands, no one seeks after God. We, we talked about that when we talked about um, unconditional, uh, total depravity. As Moses lifted up, look at, look at John uh, John 3. The, whoever believes in him, you know, for God, did not send, for, for, uh, for God so loved the world, John 3 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Nobody reads the end, they always stop there. The rest of it is for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did he send him to condemn the world? He was already condemned. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We're all hosed, but for the grace of God. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. How? In his awesomely awesome faith? His works are carried out in God. It's because God calls, the Spirit changes those for whom Christ has died. And you see, the, the work of the Trinity there. Uh, John 5.40, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. No one would desire to come apart from electing grace. God's election is um, inclusive, not exclusive. So the argument that it, it keeps people out the gate is nonsense. All right. Uh, the last objection here. And this, is, this one has some... Uh, it has some, some sting to it. God does not delight in the death of sinners, the objector says, but desires that all men everywhere to repent. That's a verse. That's several verses. Let's read them. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Um, how about First uh, Timothy two one through four? First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet uh, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, he wants, he longs for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What do you do with that? There it is. God's election is by my selection. He desires all people everywhere. Would God be thwarted in what he desires? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? It's a pretty big challenge.
1: There's uh, multiple levels to the will of God. Okay. This isn't necessarily outlined as an analogy in Scripture, but uh, a father who sees his son racing toward the street, um, obviously his, well, time out.
0: Don't do the street one because we're we're stopping that. Okay. Okay, yeah.
1: Let's say say there's a child who keeps stealing cookies from the cookie jar. Sure. The father's desire is to never harm that child, is not for the kid to cry, is to see the kid grow up to become an adult, and right. et cetera. Right. That is his overarching large will for the child. Right. However, when the child reaches into the cookie jar and takes a cookie, after the father has told him three times or whatever, yeah. the father punishes that child, spanking him until he cries, hurting that child against his big overarching will, but for the benefit.
0: Yeah, if he loves him, he'll do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So so some some theologians and have done, have done exactly what you've done, which is talk about there are two wills in God. There are multiple facets to the will of God. And it's exactly that. It's not an invitation, it's not a want, a wish for, oh, loves me, loves me not thing. <laughs> grabs a grabs a tulip and starts pulling off leaves, wondering. It is it's a command. I want humanity to come to faith in Christ. That's a command. He's appointed a time for all men to be judged by the one whom he has set, Jesus Christ, right? Come in repentance now. Kiss the son while you still may. These are commands. This is not, this is not uh, an adolescent girl's wish. This is, these are commands. There's two levels of willing of God shown in scripture. There's a difference in what God would like to see happen and what he actually does, will, to happen. Right. There, there's the way it sh- the, the way it ought to be, and there's what he does in time and space to get it to where it ought to be. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. The perfect example is this: is when it pleased the Father to bruise the Son on the cross.
0: Right. Right. His
1: overarching will was to glorify Himself by saving all mankind. Or all yeah. Of those that He loves Yeah.
0: The Thereby saving all mankind. He bruised yeah. the Son. Yeah. That's true. So a, a non-Calvinist, I. Howard Marshall, says it this way, which I find hilarious. The question at issue is not whether all will be saved, but whether God has made provision in Christ for the salvation of all, provided they believe, and without limiting the potential scope of the death of Christ merely to those whom God knows will believe. So all will be, whether or not all will be saved or whether or not he's saving some. And they understand this. These uh, non calvins understand that this is the issue. Um, and yet, the, he passes over in that essay, he passes over a clear section of Scripture that talks about the two wills of God. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, which uh, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's means, right? That's the means of, of how it's done. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. He's not required to by your means, but he may. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, and there are other verses that deal with this God's will, but I think that's that to me, the first Timothy one is the is the most clear expression of that objection. And it's answered again later on. First Timothy one through four is the objection. Verse 22 later in the chapter is where Paul sort of answers it. Hmm. Um,
2: has
0: God purposed to every man, uh, is, has God purposed to save every man? Since the Bible plainly teaches that God's plan or purpose is always accomplished, it should be clear that he has not purposed to save everyone. If he had, what would happen? Everyone would be saved, right? okay Uh, all right well let's let's wrap this up I know it's 1010 given all this we can conclude with Paul so then it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy Um, we don't discuss these things to show off right we don't discuss these things to win points or to uh, or to beat down our brothers who don't see things this way this, the sovereign electing grace of the Father is not a, a wine and cheese ivory tower doctrine. We don't just pinky raise, let's drink some wine and talk about election. This, this doctrine is gritty. It's nuts and bolts of how we live and die. And we need to treat it that way, humbly. Um, Paul says it this way, and I'll end on this because we've got to go. For God has not destined us for wrath. Amen, hallelujah. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Whether we're awake or we die, we might live with him. Therefore, what, what should we do with this? What do we do with this? What does Paul say? Encourage one another. Encourage to what? To do the means to repent, believe, pray, evangelize, do the means, encourage one another. The mission is sure, right? There's gold in them in our hills. The mission is sure. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing, he says. And that's really what we've got to take from this. If he's sovereign, our, how, can, how can we fail, right? He's calling and the means are us telling. Be faithful and don't raise up obstacles to the telling. Right? Okay. Any any comments? I know we're short and this is a major whirlwind monologue. Uh, any questions, real quick? A couple of minutes here. Comp. I think that's something. Love is like a. I think that's why there's not a
1: lot of girls here. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a lot of emotion. And I think that's something we don't need to forget. We love Him. We do these things because
0: we love Him. Right. Because He first loved us. Right. That's true. And above all people, (laughs) we should be loving because we've been shown much love. Above all people, we should be merciful because we've been shown a lot of mercy. And I think in our talk and how we portray these things, many times we portray it like fatalists. Let's not do that. God is a person, and what he's done, he's intended to do as a person, not as some impersonal force. He loves, he elects, um, I, I uh, what, well, we'll get to this next, well, never mind, we got one have time. Um, yes, more girls should understand the love of God, and more men should talk about it and understand it too, so that more girls would be in this class. I agree, because <laughs> that's really the ultimate goal of everything, is to fill up a classroom. All right. Let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll we'll be about uh, celebrating that Philip is back, going through Romans again. So that's good. It is a danger, Father, when we discuss these things to, to intellectualize and um, theorize and analyze and all the eyes to to how you save sinners and actually. In talking about your sovereignty and your and your and being the creator, we in a sense become try to try to be God and figure it all out. We don't want to do that. What we want to do is recognize what Scripture says, and just bask in the fact that you love us and you loved us first, and that puts uh, on us the the responsibility to reflect that unmerited grace that you've given to us, not to sit around talking about high and lofty things, but to, but to love Christ and love those whom he loves. And he died for sinners, of whom I am chief. And so we, we want to take that heart into the world and share the gospel. Would you help us do that? Would you, by your spirit, drive us toward the means that you've given us to reflect Jesus well, so that through that, you would call all men to yourself and save those for whom Christ died. Would you would you give the lamb the reward for his suffering? We pray as we go about being uh, those whom you've created us to be in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Okay, I have no check for the for the thing, but I have money. Is that a possibility to <laughs>